In the last 15 minutes, we've gone from Hosanna, Hallelujah, the Son of David, the Messiah has, has arrived to Good Friday and Jesus forsaken on the cross. Betrayed, denied, humiliated. And in these 15 minutes, we have have tried to encapsulate what the disciples and, and what those followers of Jesus went through from Palm Sunday to Good Friday over the span of five days. Again, reminding ourselves that it is impossible and we would not want to to come on a Sunday, on a Palm Sunday and and celebrate and then show up a week later. He is risen without traveling and journeying through this next week. So I invite you into the journey. As we talked about last week, as we anticipated, as we prepared for Palm Sunday and understanding the joy and the the possibilities and hope of Messiah finally arriving. But even in that Palm Sunday celebration, even in that Palm Sunday remembrance, we journeyed on with Jesus to, to the temple. And we saw Jesus there clear the temple of the money changers and of those that were there to sell the doves for sacrifice. And how Jesus said, my house is not to be this kind of place, but rather my house is to be a a house of prayer and a house of healing. And a house where those things that are promised through the Spirit of God are present and experienced by those that come. And even in that Palm Sunday experience, the religious leaders began to demonstrate and focus their indignation, their anger, their hatred, their their need to do something about Jesus, to dispose of Him, even on this glorious Palm Sunday that we celebrate. The question for us today is about forsakenness. What about you? Have you ever been forsaken? And let's explore that word for just a moment. Have you ever been discarded? Abandoned? Have you ever been rejected? Jilted? Have you ever been renounced? Publicly, at work, at at home, at school, in a way that that brought complete and utter humiliation as a spouse or family member, a son, a daughter, a parent, have they just walked out on you and deserted you? Have you experienced forsakenness? I think at some level we, we all have. Now, I remember a story. You remember the days in school where they used to paddle? I won't ask if any of you have experienced that uh, board of knowledge, but uh, there was a day that when I was growing up and when many of you grew up that, that swats and paddling were one of the disciplinary forms 
that took place at school regularly, in the hallway during class. My dad tells a story. He was a principal at a middle school and a wrestling coach. Worked with older kids outside of middle school, high school kids as well, and tells a story of wrestlers. Now, we may have some wrestlers and former wrestlers here. I was a basketball player. Basketball players and wrestlers, we, we shared the same locker room at our school, but that was about all we had in common. Wrestlers, they, they, were, they were a tough group. And so there three, three wrestlers on this wrestling team, Broken Arrow it has a, a history, a tradition of great wrestling programs. These three wrestlers had gotten in trouble. Such trouble that their only option was to quit or to get three swats. So they huddled. And together they decided they were tough enough and strong enough and mean enough and ornery enough that they could take the swats. So the first one lined up. And the other two quit. <laughs> Forsaken, right? Abandoned. We laugh, but we know that forsakenness is not a laughing matter. When we look through the Gospels, especially as we come to the the story of, of Holy Week and of the, of the journey of Jesus from Palm Sunday to the empty tomb, what we discover in the Gospel of Matthew is, is a story of a forsaken Jesus. And now this is a little bit different nuance in, in, in teaching than what, what Luke and John share in their experience of Holy Week. But as we read through the Gospel of Matthew in these, in these last chapters, chapters 21 through 27, we see a forsaken an abandoned, a lonely Jesus. Again, it starts on Palm Sunday with, with the chief priests and the scribes being indignant towards Jesus, even questioning His authority. It continues on Monday and Tuesday with, with news that the religious leaders were, were, seizing, were attempting to seize Him. And they were plotting to trap Him. By the end of the week, these same religious leaders had decided that they were going to seize Jesus by stealth. And they were going to kill Him. But it wasn't just Jesus' enemies. It was, it was the disciples that were beginning to experience and, and distance themselves from Jesus. Even though it may not have been purposeful on their part, but, but you, could experience, you could assume that Jesus felt this distancing, distancing from His own disciples. Remember the story of the woman that week that came in and poured perfume over Jesus and anointed Him and, and washed His hair. And, and Matthew says that the disciples were indignant towards Jesus because, oh Jesus, that could have been sold and used for the poor. And the night of His betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Scripture tells us that Peter and James and John and, and all of the disciples slept while Jesus invited them to, to, to pray and to keep watch. But each time Jesus would return to Peter and James and John, they would be asleep, spiritually abandoning Jesus in His greatest hour of need. Of course, Jesus was betrayed by one of His disciples by a kiss. 
demonstrating the intimacy of their relationship, but also the deepness of the rejection and betrayal and denial that Jesus would suffer. Matthew tells us that all the disciples left him that night and that, that over the course of that weekend, and they fled, led by Peter who denied him three times. And as we get to the trial, the religious leaders falsely and unjustly deny Jesus over and over again. He's condemned by the Roman authorities as the king of the Jews, treasonous, a revolutionary. Days earlier, as the people cried out Hosanna, on this day, on this Friday morning, the people chose Barabbas. And they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And the soldiers and those in the crowd stripped They stripped Jesus and they began to beat Him and mock Him and curse Him and spit upon Him. You see, Jesus was feeling forsaken and abandoned all through this Gospel of Matthew. And even on the cross, Matthew tells us that the passers-by stopped to ridicule and mock. And that even, even the criminals on the cross hurled abuse and mocked Jesus. You see, it's not until you get to Luke's Gospel that you see a redeeming criminal. In Matthew, both criminals are mocking and rejecting Jesus. In Matthew, unlike in John, where John and Mary and the women are standing right there at the foot of the cross of Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, the women are standing at a distance watching and seeing what's taking place on the cross. You see, gospel, the Gospel of Matthew wants us to understand Jesus' forsakenness. At the cross, the chief priests and scribes and elders, they mocked and humiliated Jesus, quoting Scripture. He trusts in God. Let God rescue Him now. Let God save Him if He delights in Him. For he said, for Jesus said, for this one on the cross said that he was the Son of God. Of course, as we've already read from Scripture this morning, the ultimate forsakenness of Jesus, forsaken by his Father, by God. And he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Martin Luther simply says this, God forsaking God, no man can understand that. Jesus is completely and totally and utterly forsaken and abandoned as He hangs on that cross. It's interesting that these are the only words that Matthew shares of Jesus from the cross. In Matthew's Gospel, there are no words of forgiveness. There are, are no words promising paradise. There are no words of concern for his earthly money, mother. There's no cry of thirst. There's no declaration that he's completed his work. There's no words releasing him into the hands of his father, Only these words of forsakenness and abandonness. 
only words that declare that the Father has withdrawn Himself from the Son. And so Jesus cries out, deserted, left alone to die, left alone to bear the sins of this world. Why? Why doesn't Matthew offer us something besides forsakenness? Why doesn't he declare victory like John who said, it is finished, as he reported these last words of Christ? Why doesn't Matthew at least give us some comforting words like Luke does at the end of his crucifixion story where Luke reports Jesus crying out, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Why? Why does Matthew leave us with a forsaken Jesus on the cross? Could it be? Could it be that Matthew is driving home this idea of forsakenness? This idea, this reality of the separation that the Father and the Son experienced on the cross. Of the humiliation of God, the the pure one, the holy one, the humiliation of God to have the sins of the world, no, to have my sins, to have your sins thrown upon Him. Matthew wants us to understand the loneliness and the doubt. And, And I suggest even the fear of Jesus on the cross. He wants us to ponder and to meditate and to reflect on the extreme price that Jesus paid while He hung on the cross, forsaken by His followers, forsaken by His Father. Even the women were at a distance. And you... What about your abandonness? What about those times when you've been betrayed and forsaken by others? What about when you've had that experience of feeling forsaken by God? Abandoned by God in your greatest time of need? Can can you relate to Jesus? Can you relate to His devastation on the cross? Have you been there? You see, this is the story of the cross and of Good Friday. This is why on this Palm Sunday, we have to get to Friday before we can come back on Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday morning. But again, you, in your own life, is today today more like Palm Sunday or is today really more like Good Friday. Look around us. An airplane crashing into a mountain because a pilot apparently chose to do that. Tornadoes crashing into the same neighborhood over and over and over again. Racist chants. 
random acts of violence and prejudice. And of course, cancers and, and strokes, accidents, diseases, abandonment, forsakenness. But surely, surely this is not the message that Matthew wants to leave us with. Surely this isn't the end of Matthew's Gospel. This isn't where he wants us to to be left, hopeless and dying on a cross, forsaken forever and in eternity. Surely there's more to what Matthew's trying to teach us than utter despair and loneliness. Surely there's more to Jesus' question than forsakenness. You see, I believe there is. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is the first line of Psalm 22. The psalm that Jesus and those around him would have known. It's a psalm that pictures the cross years before crucifixion had been developed by the Roman armies and government. Listen to verses 15 and through 17 or 18 of Psalm 22. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, for, and, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me, and they have pierced my hands and my feet, but I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 22, written several hundred of years before Jesus was crucified. Without question, Jesus, when He cries out about His forsakenness, without question, He is expressing His deepest pain and separation. But He's also offering us a word of hope. Hope that even in our own forsakenness, we can still cry out to God. And we can be confident that as we cry out to God in our own abandonment, in our own forsakenness, that God does hear us. And that God does respond. So the great paradox of Jesus' forsakenness is that Jesus is not forsaken. On the cross of Christ, Jesus declares that no matter how dark our lives become, no matter how hurtful or painful the world is, that no matter how alone or frightened we are, no matter how much we feel abandoned by God, we can still cry out. And He will hear us. For He is faithful. And just as He rescued and delivered and strengthened those who called on Him in the past, which is the story that Psalm 22 tells, He can and He will do the same in the present and in the future. Listen to Psalm 22.8. He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him. Because He delights in Him. Isn't that interesting? The scribes and the Pharisees threw this verse at Jesus as He hung on the cross in Matthew's Gospel. They chanted it at Him as a means of humiliation and derision. Okay, Son of God, You proclaim to be the the Son. Okay, the Father is delighting in You now. 
Let him come and save you. Let him come and deliver you. Right? How ironic that the scribes and the chief priests and the Pharisees were right. The Father does and did delight in the Son. Even on the cross, delighting in Jesus. Yet the tragic thing is that these religious leaders still did not get it. And isn't it fascinating that Matthew bookends his telling of the crucifixion of Jesus with this. The proclamation from the centurion that indeed this is the Son of God. The Son of God who the Father delights in. The Son of God who the Father will deliver and rescue. So, now we understand the cry of forsakenness differently because of Easter and because of resurrection. Yes, Jesus experienced forsakenness. Don't, don't let me suggest that, that, oh, Jesus wasn't really experiencing forsakenness because He knew He was going to be resurrected again. No, no. He was forsaken. He was abandoned. But He wasn't hopeless. He had complete and total faith and trust in the Father. Psalm 22, verse 24. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. When we cry to him for help, he hears. And he begins to move forward to deliver, to rescue, to redeem, to bring resurrection and new life. I think this is the story that Matthew is trying to help us to understand. This is the story he's trying to communicate to his Jewish readers as they read about the forsakenness of the Christ. So we move to the New Testament. Paul picks up on this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. For those in Christ Jesus, for those who've received His life and His salvation and His forgiveness, this is a promise for all of us. A promise such that Paul says in Romans 8, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Neither death, Neither death on the cross, neither forsakenness, neither abandonment, neither betrayal, nor life, nor things present, nor things today, nor things to come, nor things tomorrow, and in the future, those things that that seem to separate us from God, those things that seem to magnify our own forsakenness, none of these things, no created thing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus Have your forsaken, excuse me, have your hosannas, have your hosannas turned to forsakenness? Have your hallelujahs 
turn to crucifixions. On this Palm Sunday, as we enter into Holy Week, as we prepare for Easter Sunday, let us cry out to God for help. Let us acknowledge our own abandonment and forsakenness. And let us allow God to begin His work of rescuing and delivering us. Let's pray.